welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hi, my name is BJ. I'm the lead pastor here at The Well. I got a question for you. What will it take to be great in 2021? What, what will it take for you to be great in 2021? Now, some of you are people who do New Year's resolutions. That's how you think. Um, but many of us may would say, no, I don't think that way. And yet, we're going to enter the year. We're going to go after some stuff this year. We're going to pursue something. We're going to point our boat somewhere out in a direction and get after it in some way in 2021. And the question is, what will it take for you to be great? What will success look like? Now, I know 2021 is a strange year and there's other words like unprecedented and uncertain uh, that we attach to this year. But in many ways, um, the answer to the question, what will it take to be great in 2021, we might answer it in a few ways, the same way in 2021 as we would in any other year. And, and let me throw out some words to you that might describe how we might answer that question. What will it take to be great in 2021? For some people, it's fame. <laughs> like there's a lot of things that got negatively affected or, or kind of went down or disappeared during COVID, but social media and like even TikTok as an example is definitely not one of them. TikTok exploded during COVID. It became the most downloaded app in the world. It was a global phenomenon. Why? Because all of a sudden people were at home and had more time to film themselves dancing and working out their moves. And there were a lot more people at home who were looking for stuff to watch um, while they were supposed to be at school, while they were supposed to be working. No judgment. Uh, that, that exploded. And, and the internet and social media has, even, has gotten even bigger. And likes, followers, subscribers, um, shares, all of that has become a new way to measure yourself and your brand and who you are, whether you're a company or an individual or starting a business or a blogger or a YouTuber or a video game player or however it works. This is how social media has given this opportunity for fame. Like, look at these amazing um, feats that these YouTubers uh, have recorded themselves and have shared with the world. Okay, so now we've proved that whether you're a GoPro or a no-pro, there's lots of ways to be famous on the internet. Interesting, the Journal of Psychology and Cyberspace did a study with kids ages 9 to 11, asking them the question, what do they value most? 20 years ago, almost when that uh, study was done, uh, initially, the answer uh, fame was 15th on the list. Kids listed 15th as, as fame. In 2017, it was number one. Kids ages 9 to 11, what they value most is fame. And I would say that the, sort of the internet and social media phenomenon is a big part of that. Now, even if we say, oh, I don't like the word fame, how about the word recognition, right? Many of us would say, well, I just want to be recognized for what I'm doing. Like, that's what it would take to be great in 2021. What about this word? Achievement. Not just fame, but achievement. Many of us are actually entering this year with a kind of sense of pressure and stress to do better this year, to be better. Maybe you've seen companies and people, individuals, organizations, new ventures that have pivoted, that have innovated, that have somehow managed to leverage the conditions that we find ourselves in. And man, they're actually successful. Maybe it is people online or online businesses or how they've turned or changed their approach to the market or whatever. And you feel the pressure and the need to say, yeah, I got to achieve. I got I to do better. Than, I didn't respond well last year. Our company didn't respond well. In my role, I didn't respond well. We, we got to turn. We got to innovate. We got to succeed. We got to do better. 
That can be the pressure on us to actually achieve. Or maybe we felt, maybe we lost a job or maybe we're now in a place where we realize I can't stay where I am. I got to do something different. And so there's a pressure to reinvent ourselves and to do better. So maybe entering 2021, we think, well, greatness is tied to what I can achieve or what I need to achieve or do better than I did last year. I definitely can't repeat what I did last year. And there can be pressure that we put on ourselves and saying, yeah, this is what greatness is going to look like is what am I going to achieve? Maybe if we go a level deeper, some of us, the idea of greatness would be about being good or doing good. Uh, Many of us were raised in homes where um, how we acted morally, our moral behavior, our uprightness, the choices we made, the good decisions, and and not just kind of how we look, but, you know, the the goodness that we had in us in being a, a good person morally or in doing good. Look, man, couldn't we say in 2021, man, we need a lot of us to, to be doing more good on the earth. We need more frontline workers. We need more people who are willing to serve others. And certainly as a church, we've talked about that. What does it mean for us to be a community that's going to try to do good this year to, to serve others? And so we can have that perspective, uh, an altruistic kind of like, I got to, you know, being good and doing good, that's what's going to determine greatness in 2021. Or maybe even most profound for, for people of faith, would say, well, faith, That's what it means to be great, to grow in faith, to grow in boldness, to grow in my relationship with God, to grow spiritually, to have personal growth, um, spiritually, emotionally, physically, all of that. Like that's what true greatness looks like. And, And of course, we talk about that a lot at our church. What does it mean to grow in our relationship with God, to grow spiritually as well? But if I can sort of give a sobering kind of dose of reality, the truth is it's possible to uh, gain all of these things, to have more fame, to ach- achieve great things, to, um, to, to be good and to do good, to grow in faith, and in the end still not actually be truly great because of what's going on in the inside or what's going on in our relationships. Like it's possible to gain all of those things and still somehow internally not be greater for the people around us to look at us and say, yeah, you did all that stuff or you are all that stuff, but ultimately you're not great. That's a possibility. And so we need to say, well, what, what should we be aiming at as we enter into 2021? Not to say that any of those things are bad, but what is actually going to um, make sure that beyond those things, we actually achieve whatever, however we define sort of that level of greatness to say, no, this is actually worth, this is worth giving my life for. This is worth pointing my boat towards. This is worth my energy and running after in 2021. And so that's really what we're doing today. And actually for the next seven weeks to say, what is worth aiming and building our lives upon? Now, you'd be interested to know that we aren't the first people to sort of define greatness in terms of, of fame or um, uh, achievement or goodness or faith. Um, wherever you land on those things, we aren't the first people to do that. In fact, if you look at the, the scriptures and the stories of people in the scripture, they are stories of people who pursued and gained fame, achievement, um, moral goodness, good, good being, being good, doing good, and even great faith. And yet many of them, many of them often uh, were shown in the end not to actually be great because the things on the inside, their relationships, the stuff around them were not actually great. 
And so it's, it's good for us to know that God defines greatness for us in the scriptures in a very different way than fame, achievement, goodness, or faith. And I want you to listen now as Andrea Zoni from our King site reads for us the scripture where the Apostle Paul writing to uh, a new church, a letter about, about actually this issue of greatness and listen to how he defines it. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Did you hear what he said? Let me put it up on the wall for you. This scripture tells us, the Apostle Paul, the writer, is making an argument that love is greater than everything. Some of you mathematicians know that's the greater than sign. Okay, love is greater than everything. Now, this is the Apostle Paul, one of, someone who became a follower of Jesus. He was actually totally against Jesus. Then God changed his life and he began to love and follow Jesus um, and was convinced that Jesus was God and so began to follow him. And he planted churches and he would write letters to those churches as they were figuring out what does, what does it mean to live life now that God is who he said he is, that Jesus has come to us. And he makes this uh, argument for them in 1 Corinthians 13 about love. And he goes on to write a bunch of verses about love, which over the next seven or eight weeks we're going to look at. Now, here's what's interesting. These verses are probably some of the most read verses in weddings around the world for the last 2,000 years, especially in Christian weddings or weddings that happen in churches. Love is patient, love is kind, lots of stuff. And oh, it's like good feelings of the couples, like they're looking at each other and whatever. The truth is the tone of this letter and the tone of these verses are not like you wouldn't actually probably want Paul to be preaching this sermon at your wedding. You know why? It's kind of a rebuke. He's saying to the guys, you, you know what you think is what is important. It's like you're flexing, you know, as my kids say, you're flexing. You're flexing about your fame or about um, what, what you've achieved or the kind of good person you are, or the good deeds you've done, or even how much faith you are. You're flexing. You know what is really important? You know what's more important than all of that stuff? It's a rebuke. He's kind of saying to them, you've missed it. You think greatness is fame. You think greatness is achievement. You think greatness is what you've done or the kind of person you look like or the good deeds you've done or even how much faith you have or how capable you are as a spiritual person or as a Christian leader. Do you know what's more important than all of that? He says love. Love. And he goes on to actually explain why. And here's what he says. Here's why. Love, because this could sound like, oh yeah, love is the best. All we need is love. Love is greater than everything. Here's why he says love is greater than everything. Love is greater than everything because if you don't have love, everything else is nothing. The reason he says love is greater than everything, than all these things, and we can put all those four categories in. The reason love is greater than everything is because if you don't have love, everything else is nothing. 
And he goes on in these verses to actually give some illustrations and explain to them that would explain their current context in a way that maybe we don't think about often, but if we actually stop long enough to consider it, we go, yeah, that's totally true. Love is greater than everything because if you don't have love, everything else is nothing. And he gives some examples. He says this, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love. Now, speaking in the tongues of men and angels, that's sort of like, he's referencing, uh, if, I'm, if I'm an eloquent person, if I'm, um, you know, he's referencing some of the spiritual gifts, the gifts that God gives, that leaders in the church where they were, people would have been using. If I'm someone who has, who has the gift of words, if I can speak well, if I can speak, um, if I'm funny, if I'm clever, if I'm compelling, if I'm wise, speak in human, human tongues, human speech, words that people can understand. Or the tongues of men and angels, like if I have an angelic language, which there's a whole other kind of background for what that was, but basically saying that I have spiritual power to speak in ways that even God understands, or even if you want to say that I can speak words that go right up to heaven or whatever. He's saying, if I, if I have those things and I can speak that way, and he's very clever with his words, but if I don't have love, he said, I'm nothing more than a gong or a cymbal. Now, um, some of you uh, sing in our band, um, if you are a gong player, I just need to break it to you. There's no room for you in our fan. Why? Because a gong is, it's like a gong. If I, if I really want to know you, I'd bring one up here and I'd hit it. It's, it's not a nice sound. It's a clanging sound. It's an overpowering sound. In fact, if I started hitting the gong right now, again, which I won't do for the sake of yours, you wouldn't be able to hear my words anymore. And Paul's playing on this thing. He's like, if I speak, no matter how eloquent my words, I don't have love, it's actually hard to listen to. I'm sure you've experienced that. Like my married friends, you may be so right and clever and compelling in your argument with your spouse, but you know you can win and you lost because you didn't have love. You know that it's hard actually to hear even other people, whether teachers or parents or people you look up to or friends, that you know they're right, but you don't want to listen to what they're saying. You have a hard time taking it in. Why? Because it's like it's grating on your ears, not because of what they're saying, but because they lack love. Because of who's saying it or how they're saying it or the words don't have love in them. He says, I can, I can speak like that, but if, if I do and I don't have love, it grates on the ears. It's better if they didn't say it at all. Then he goes on. He says, if I have um, all these other spiritual gifts, prophecy and wisdom, but if I, I look this picture, if I have faith that can move mountains, and that's actually a, a reference that Jesus made, that you have faith, you can say to this mountain to move. So it's this idea of faith that shakes the earth. If I have a confidence in God, if I'm able to believe things and actually believe them into existence, that things can happen. If I have trust in God, that God can do things. If I, if I pray in faith and my prayers are answered, he said, if I have those things and I have all these spiritual abilities and power, he's talking to a church, but we can broaden this in, in general terms. But I don't have love. He says, I am nothing, right? Instead of saying, wow, that person's this. Did you see her? She's so amazing at this. He's so amazing at that. He says, no, you know what they'll say? You are nothing. <laughs> you can have faith that can move mountains, but if you don't have love, this is even stronger language than your words are like a gang, an annoying gong. This is like, you are nothing. Your life amounts to nothing. No matter what other great things you've done, if you don't have love. 
Then he goes beyond just achievement to goodness, virtue. And he says, if I, if I give everything I have to the poor, or he says, if I surrender my body to the flames, it's probably a reference to like, if I die for my faith, if I'm willing to sacrifice my life for my beliefs, if I'm so bold and so courageous, I'm not afraid of what people will do to me. And there were people who were dying for their faith in those days. But if I give everything I have to the poor, something we'd say, wow, that's so virtuous. That's so good. I mean, that's, who does that? Nobody does that. And, and it's interesting, he says, but, but if I do that and I don't have love, he says, I gain nothing. Why does he say I gain nothing? Well, it, it, Jesus actually, and the New Testament writers taught, listen, if you let go and are willing to give money and yourself and your time, if you're, if you're willing to sacrifice now, you will gain later. You will gain things that God can give. If you give now, you'll gain later. If you die now, you'll live later. If you give, that was true. And it is true. Except Paul says, yeah. But if you don't do it in love and with love, you know what you gain? Nothing. You have no reward coming to you, no matter how good and sacrificial you are, if you don't do it in love. It's stunning, actually to take all of these things that we'd say, well, these are all good things to have faith and to give away to the poor and to sacrifice your body, to speak with eloquence and power and wisdom. These are all good things. And even if we want to broaden it, even things like fame or achievement or having influence or followers, these aren't bad things. Paul's whole point is though, they're only worth something. All of these things must be fueled by and done with love. Do you get it? He's not saying love is something different, like categorically, like it's a feeling or an idea different from these things. He's saying, if you don't do these things because of love and with love, it's better if you didn't do them at all. It doesn't even matter. It might as well have not been done. Now you, you and I actually know this is true, right? Like if a famous person, someone who's, who's really, um, you know, on TV a lot or on the internet a lot, or has a lot of followers or, uh, you know, tons of people following them on Instagram, liking their posts. If they do something that is found to be unloving, unkind or unscrupulous, do you know what happens? Their fame makes it worse for them because everybody knows how unloving, unkind and unscrupulous. Their fame actually works against them. Their fame is nothing now. It's, it's, their fame actually has torn them down to nothing because everybody has seen, because someone was recorded it or someone reported it to TMZ, how unloving they were, how unkind they were, how unscrupulous they were. Their fame actually works against them. We've actually also seen people who have achieved incredible things in the arena of business or education or science or politics or sports. And yet they stepped over people to get there and other, they didn't act greatly, even though they achieved greatly. I was watching a documentary recently about someone who had achieved a tremendous amount in their field of work. And, and the documentary was about that. But um, they interviewed people who worked with that person. And unfortunately, those people were actually on the documentary saying how, yeah, they weren't the greatest person to work with. They were harsh. They were um, unforgiving. They were unkind. They were almost brutal in the way that they achieved what they do. And the person who, who had achieved that actually heard what they were saying. They began to cry and couldn't finish the interview. It was almost the thing is like, wait, I thought I achieved something great. And yet people in the end were saying, yeah, you achieved great things. You just weren't a great person. And you actually sacrificed greatness in order to achieve that. 
We've seen that. Maybe some of us have felt like we were sacrificed along the way for the greatness achievement of others. Or maybe some of us can honestly say, yeah, I didn't treat people well on my way to, I got here, but I had to sacrifice a lot of people to get here. And maybe worst of all, we've, we've seen like just how it's possible for people of faith, church, uh, church leaders, Christian leaders, pastors, you know, I'm well aware of this as a pastor. As I read year after year of stories of pastors and people, people who looked up to that represented God, weren't just sort of achieving stuff in the world, but like spiritually representing God to people. And what happened in their lives when it realized, oh, they weren't great at all. Like I grew up as a pastor's kid. And one of the things I realized over the time is there was this joke about pastor's kids that they were all terribly behaved. They were a mess. And maybe it was partly joke, partly true, but why? Or people would say, oh, I'm sorry. You know, like why? Because in many ways, I think the pastor's kids saw what mom or dad were really like at home, even though how they were representing themselves in the church. And for them, it was like, no, I'm not dealing with this. It was hypocrisy they saw. You know, I had the privilege of sitting under my dad's teaching, you know, say someone who spoke with the words of men, you know, for 25 years. And his teaching was incredible, but it was only valuable to me because he loved me. And he loved my mom and he loved his church. Yes, the teaching was amazing, but it only was effective because of love. And I'm privileged to be able to say that with authenticity, but I know for many people, that's not the case in the spiritual leaders in their lives. And Paul's pointing out, he's not saying, hey guys, this is how it should be. He's saying, this is just the way it is. This is just the way it is. You can have all of these things. You can have followers and likes and subscribers and um, people who share your stuff and you can be well-known. You can have achieved amazing things in your field and uh, physical, mental feats. You can be someone who's so spiritually mature, it seems like, in how they talk and speak and the power of your prayers. And you can even have gifts of healing and teaching. Or whatever. But if you don't have love, Paul says, it's nothing you gain nothing. You are nothing. Love is greater than everything because if you don't have love, everything else is nothing. And in the end, and I think maybe you know this, maybe for some of you who you know most of your years are behind you, and maybe you've stopped working, and maybe you're, you're not sort of parenting little kids anymore, or maybe um, some of the people in your life, close friends or spouse have passed away, and you're, you're looking back on your life. You know as life is winding down. And even if you're not in that stage, if you think about it, what will be the things that you are most proud of that you won't have to shed any tears of remorse or regret over? It will be love. And Paul actually goes on to say this at the end of this chapter. Look at, look at what he says. He says, and now these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Um, commentators think that um, these three remain faith, hope, and love was a Christian saying that they had at that point to sort of go, hey, what's most important? Like faith in God, hope in the resurrection, and love. And Paul says, yeah, you've heard these three remain. These things are the, are the things that remain. In, in other words, these are the things of most weight. These are the things that are most important. Faith, hope, and love. But then he adds to the saying, he says, yeah, but the greatest is love. Why? Because eventually we won't need faith and hope anymore. We will be with God forever. And what will remain is love. 
And, and here's a way to help you remember it. Love is first because only love lasts. Love is first. It is of greatest importance because only love lasts. Paul knew this because he knew his scriptures and the writers of the scriptures don't just describe God as having a characteristic or an attribute of love. The scriptures actually say God is love. His very essence is love. Maybe the most famous Bible verse, even if you've never read the Bible, you've seen it held up at uh, you know, wrestling matches or football games. Maybe you didn't know what it said. John three sixteen: for God so loved the world. That's why Jesus, the enduring symbol of Jesus' life is what? The cross, which is a symbol of self-giving love. That's why Paul said, yeah, only love. Love is first because only love lasts. It is the one thing that remains. It is greater than everything because without it, everything else is nothing. So you might say, okay, well, what is love? Or you might say, what is love? Just kidding. Okay, you can dance later. What is love? Well, the next seven weeks, we're actually going to go through this passage in detail because love is not an idea. It's not a feeling. It's not some, it's actually gritty. It's actually real. It's actually really practical. It actually intersects our day-to-day life. And so we're going to actually find out, yeah, if you have fame, if you are achieving things, if you um, are someone who's trying to be good and do good, if you're someone who's trying to grow in your faith, how do you do that fueled by and with love? Because love is greater than everything. And so that's what we're going to do over these next seven weeks. So I'd love to invite you to join us uh, as you understand, okay, what does that mean for me? But before we end today, I want to just kind of give you a chance to talk to yourself as you enter 2021, really to preach to ourselves. Sometimes we, I don't know about you, I need to preach to myself sometimes. Say, hey, before I jump into this year, whatever it holds for me, what would it mean to put love first? And so here's a couple of sentences. They're simple. You know, you could probably come up with them yourselves, but sometimes there's power in us saying them out loud to ourselves. So that's what I want you to do. Whether you're home on your own, you're watching this in your apartment or wherever, or you're in the car listening, or you're with other people, say it out loud. Don't be rude about this. You are talking, never mind who, who you're with. You're talking to yourself. You're preaching to yourself, okay? And so we're going to do this together. As we head into 2021, here's the first thing I want you to say to yourself and, and say it with me as it comes up on the screen. Me being loving is more important than me being famous or recognized. Me being loving is more important than me being famous or recognized. Got that? Preaching to yourself? Feeling it? All right. Here's the second one. God is asking me to be more loving, not more successful in 2021. Because this is what God requires of me. God is asking me to be more loving, not more successful in 2021. Here's the next one. I want you to preach to yourself. Say it with conviction. Get your preaching voice on. The greatest gift I could give my family, friends, and coworkers in 2021 is to grow in love. That's the greatest gift I could give my friends, my family, and my coworkers in 2021 is to grow in love. And then this last one, love is first because only love lasts. You know, the beautiful thing about this, love isn't something that God 
commands us to generate and find within ourselves to reach down deep and somehow just try to, to try harder, to be better, to be more loving. Love is first and foremost something we receive. We receive the love of God. The love of God, scripture says, is poured into us so that it can flow out of us. Scripture says we put our roots down deep into the love of God so that we grow up and out of the love of God and the love of God then is in us. And so the band's just going to lead us in a song that reminds us of the love that we have received. So I want you to sing or you can listen or whatever, but just do it in a posture saying, yes, I want to receive this for me today. <laughs> 